0: I have some men to come and help me <laughs> pass out guys in this All right. Uh, I appreciated last week Brother Darrell preaching for me and uh, I asked him if he would do that again this week. Uh, that helps me tremendously. I, last night <clears throat> we had that myelogram and I did not get, we did not get home until about 1130 last night from Auburn because we had to stay, I had to stay flat on my back for like three hours after that and wasn't sure I was getting to come home then so I asked him if he would prepare for tonight. Uh, it also helps me because late in the day, uh, I don't understand it all, but late in the day I get weary and it's a lot more painful late in the day than it is early in the morning uh, at this point. But I thought it was a fun time last week, Brother Darrell did a great job, he's a good communicator of God's Word, but we had him to preach and to share, and then we had a chance to evaluate him, and that's what we're going to do again tonight. So he's been evaluated twice, you know, he, he is, twice. But I want to go over the review of last week and see what we can remember about that. Then I want you to have that listening guide on the right-hand side. And I want you to be able to follow his message and be able to identify significant things that he says. Our organizational structure, our style of study that he might use. That would be helpful. But let's just be reminded of what we, what we heard last week. All right, here it goes. What was the subject of Brother Daryl's message? Uh-oh. What was the subject of Brother Daryl's message? One week ago tonight, what was the subject? Read your Bible. What was it? Read your Bible. All right, reading your Bible or how you, how you handle the Word of God, how you... Respect the word of God versus disrespecting the word of God and the importance of putting God's word in your heart. All right. Now, here's the next one. What two cities gave different responses to the word of God? All right. Thessalonica and Berea. All right. And out of that, which of the cities valued the scripture? Who remembers that? All right, the Berean Christian, Berean believers, they honored the scripture. They studied the scripture, whereas the Thessalonians disrespected it in ways. What method of teaching did Brother Darrell use? What method of teaching did Brother Darrell use? Yeah, we were talking about topical versus expository. So which one did we say that he used? Okay, somebody, what was that? All right, very good, very good. We talked about that it was kind of a hybrid. It would be classified topical, but in the midst of the topical, there was exegetical and expository teaching or preaching done in the midst of that. So it's very good that you all remember that. What was an example of a word study he used? You remember that? All right. All right. Is about bond. You remember that, that word about bond, and what, what was the definition? Anybody remember what the definition? To act right. Yeah, that's right. An agreement to, to act right or conduct yourselves well. Uh, that's good. Good, Rick. Anybody else remember any other word? There was a couple other words that he used. Do you remember any of those? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. We talked about that uh, when it was the city official, and he, he said that most people thought that that, meant, that that particular passage was not legitimate until they found it in 1934, I think was the date, and realized that that, was, that word was used. What a mean? Huh? <laughs> Did what? He said it's
1: all Greek to
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And which primary focus? Which, what, uh, which primary focus was used in Brother Darrell's message? And on that focus, we talked about, was it focused on God? Was it a focus on man? On salvation? On the Christian life? What, what was it? What were we talked about? Yeah, primarily it was on man, what man is like. But it could also be a little bit of the Christian life. In current, remember, you spent time encouraging, you need to do this and read this and do that. Okay? So he's gonna come now and he's gonna teach our Bible study. And I want you to look at those things. We're gonna we're gonna ask about it. What approach does Brother Daryl take? Topical expository? Don't know. We'll have to find out. About can you give an example of exegesis or in, in his study, taking out of the Word of God something? Does Brother Darrell identify meaning of key words or phrases? Any example of that? Does Brother Darrell given a historical context to the passage? Can you identify his method of organization? Is it alliteration, acrostic, chronological, psychological? Does Brother Darrell identify what the passage says to people of that day, people of any day, Are to him personally? What are Brother Darrell's key points? What does Brother Darrell think is the primary focus of this passage? And what type of presentation does Brother Darrell use? That's from manuscript to extemporaneous to him, prop to you. So, Brother Darrell, you come and teach us.
1: Alright. It's a privilege again to speak to y'all and share with you from God's Word and and uh, of course we're praying that God will speak to us all. You know, he speaks to the preacher before he speaks to the people. And so, uh, I've enjoyed this lesson, but I hope that it will, it will bless you. Um, I will tell you that tonight's message is from uh, Matthew chapter 6. You can be turning in your copies of God's Word, Matthew chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you that we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage and that this message will both comfort you and it will challenge you. The title of the message tonight is Laying Down Our Worry." laying down our worry. And I thought I'd kind of get our juices going talking about worry because I don't know if you're a worrier or if you struggle with anxiety or if it just happens to you every once in a while. Uh, Most people that I know, they go through times or seasons where they struggle with worries and anxieties. And so what that means is, if you do, you're in good company because we're all there with you. And uh, this is a very relevant topic, a very relevant passage where Jesus speaks to us about worrying and how he wishes us to handle worries. He wants us to handle it rightly. But to get ourselves thinking about it, I read across a story, Dr. Mack. Really, it's, a, it's an Arabian fable. And, I, it, 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 and what it's going to talk about to us is that sometimes it seems that it'd be very reasonable for us to be worried. Okay, so now listen to this. I actually wrote it down because I'm going to read it to you because I don't think I can quite memorize this. But listen to this, okay? An Arabian sultan ordered that his servant's head be cut off. On the execution block, the servant made an offer. He said to the sultan, If you spare my life for one year, I will teach your white stallion to talk. Well, this surprised and pleased the sultan because he loved his stallion more than he loved anything else at all. What happens if you fail, the sultan asked. The servant replied, then you can boil me in oil. Well, the sultan really liked this offer and granted his request. And as the servant walked away from the executioner, a friend said to him, You've lost your mind. Being boiled in oil is much worse than having your head cut off. And the servant turned to his friend, smiled, and said, Yes, my friend, but much can happen in a year. The king may grow ill and die, his servants may rise up and kill him. I myself may become ill and die. The horse may die. Who knows? Maybe I'll even teach him how to talk. (laughs) Okay, a little optimism in there, right? But you know, to the servant's friend, it seemed reasonable that he would worry about this offer that he made. And you might agree with him, hey, listen, it's much worse to die being boiled in oil than having your head cut off in one fell swoop. Sometimes in life, it really seems like the most reasonable thing we can do is to worry. It just seems practical to be worried about this or that. Well, as Christians, we'll see here from the Word, Jesus wants us to lay down our worries. He tells us that we can lay down our worries. So, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse uh, 25. You can follow along in your copies of God's Word. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. And I'll read it a little slow because I think sometimes we speed through it because it's so familiar to us, this packet, this particular passage. So beginning in verse 25, Jesus is speaking here, and this is what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? You of little faith, so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or, what shall we drink? Or, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May God bless the reading of his word this evening. If I were to summarize this passage, I would probably say something like this. Worry is deadly to Christians. It's deadly to Christians. It's not good for us. Yet, all of us at times struggle with anxiety or worries. We've got a circumstance in our life, and it's out of control, and, it's, and, and, and we don't know what's going to come, and our imaginations are running away with us. All of these things, and we find ourselves worrying. And Jesus, of course, knew it. He knows how we are. And so he addresses something really practical in our lives. In fact, it's really a topical message that Jesus gives in this essence. He's addressing that terrible, terrible thing called worry or anxiety. And he does that here in the passage. Let me give you a little background, though. I want want to kind of give you a little background so that you can kind of understand that this subject of of worry or anxiety doesn't come out out of left field to Jesus' disciples. So keep this in mind. Um, Jesus, uh, and this, by the way, this is kind of ironic. There's some irony here that he says, do not worry, okay? Because Jesus has just been making some rather shocking statements that would make anyone want to worry. He's just told them that hate is murder, in chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, that lusting after someone else is adultery. That's chapter 5, verse 28. That God refuses to forgive those who refuse to forgive others, in chapter 6, verse 15. And if you look at this buildup here, Jesus says some things that just blow the minds of the disciples. And they could very well be worried, am I measuring up? to God's expectations. Am, am, am I able to do this? Am I, am, I, am I doing things I don't even realizing that I'm doing is wrong? And so they could be worrying about that. But then also remember the, the, the circumstances and the time. What are the disciples doing? The disciples have attached themselves to a master, a rabbi named Jesus. And the, he is the Lord of their life. And they are following and sitting at the feet of of Jesus as his disciple, and they are learning from him. They are learning lessons, they are learning from example, all of these things. But as they do that, they are living a homeless life. Jesus doesn't own anything, doesn't have a home, doesn't have a place to lay his head, scripture says. He, he, they're just literally ministering and depending totally on the kindness and generosity of others. And so practically, they might be wondering each day, where's my next meal coming from? Where am I going to lay my head? So it's a little ironic, it seems to me, that Jesus starts bringing up this subject of anxiety and worry. Well, I want you to notice three big things, I guess. Three, three big ideas, three core things that jump out to me from this passage that we've looked at, okay? And the first is this, and you can write this down if you want. You don't have to. We are commanded not to worry. We are commanded not to worry. And if you paid attention, you noticed that Jesus commanded us not to worry. Not once, not twice, but three times. Look, here at the beginning of the passage in and, and verse 25... He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. And then over in verse 31, what does he say? So do not worry. And then in verse 34, what does he say? Therefore, do not worry. Three times Jesus commands us not to worry. And this is important. This is important for you and me. Let's talk for just a second about the word worry. The word worry in the Greek is merimaneo. 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 And it's just what you think. Worry, anxiety. But that word has, a, has a, a, an impact, has, a, has an image, has a, provides a picture for us of someone who has become preoccupied and distracted. Now what do you think about that? Preoccupied, and distracted. Isn't that what worry does? I mean, you've worried. I've worried. Isn't that what worry does? We become preoccupied with something. You know, we got a lot of things to think about in our day. But this one thing that's just not right in some way, I'm going to focus completely on this thing. I'm going to become obsessed with this thing. I'm going to allow this thing to become of greater importance as far as the use of my time and energy than any other thing. And in the process, what does it do? It distracts me from all the other things that are in my life, including all the blessings, all the, all the wonderful things, the good things that God has placed in my life. So it preoccupies us and it distracts us from even the good things that we could be thankful of and thankful about. Well, worry consumes one's thoughts. You know, uh, you probably heard of a, a, a mental disability called OCD. And if I say OCD, I guarantee you most people in this room think someone who's super organized. Woo! And some of you even say, man, I wish I had OCD. I'd like to be more organized, right? But can I tell you that is not what OCD is. Let me tell you what OCD actually is. It's obsessive-compulsive disorder. Pay attention to compulsive. Obsessive-compulsive disorder. OCD comes from a fear of loss of control. And it's the belief that if they obsess... If they compulsively focus upon and pay attention to uh, this thing, whatever it is, if if they worry or obsess enough, then whatever they fear might happen won't happen. That's obsessive compulsive disorder. It's It's intrusive thoughts from the outside that they can't seem to get away from. It is not that they're just organized. It is something that is not good. At its heart is worry. It's fear. Particularly, it's fear of loss of control. Well, can I tell you something? Like, I'm going to tell you something you already know. Like, you already know, and you're going to say, well, yeah, I already knew that. But it's worth saying again. Can I tell you that your control and my control is an illusion? It's absolutely an illusion. People work so hard, worry about so many things because they want to feel as they got as, as though they got the cat by the tail. They want to feel like they got everything under control. And they work and they order and they plan and they do and whatever whatever whatever. And then the stock market crashes. Did they ever really have control? No. Every one of us is one circumstance away from being out of control. We're just, we're just one circumstance away from life happening to us. And so the idea, even when we feel like, man, I've got this. I'm in control. I got this. is just an illusion. But yet we, we compulsively think that hey if i just i just pay enough attention if i just worry enough about something somehow somehow i can prevent the worst from happening. Jesus ind- indicates by this command that this applies to everything. Did you pay attention to all the daily needs he lists here? I mean, look, he talks about eating, drinking, wearing, and even life itself. These are These are daily needs. And what do we need to remember? We need to remember that God knows about those things. God knows about those things. None of this surprises God. You're not going to ever run into a circumstance in your life where God goes, Oh, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) That's ridiculous. God knows what's happening to you every day of your life from now until your death and beyond. I'm telling you, nothing's going to surprise Him. He knows your needs and He has promised to supply your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so we can have confidence that even when things seem to be spiraling out of our control, God hasn't gone anywhere. He's seated on the throne of heaven. When my circumstances shake my life, the throne of God is not shaken. He's the sovereign one in absolute, complete (laughs) control. And he knows, Jesus says, he knows our every real need. And notice, and i got to emphasize this again, this is not a divine suggestion, guys. Do not worry. What does Jesus say? Twice he says, I... Tell you, Pay attention to Jesus when he says that throughout the Gospels. When he says, I tell you. In fact, often it's, you've heard it said, but I tell you, he is speaking with absolute authority. Remember, the crowds were overwhelmed with his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority. I tell you, it's in the imperative, I tell you, do Not worry. Now the good news is, God never commands us to do something that we can't do. So there is an assurance there that Jesus is saying, I'm commanding you not to worry. Oh, by the way, yes, you can choose not to worry. You can do this, is what he's saying. And I'm speaking in authority, my authority to tell you that you can do that. So I can choose not to worry. I can choose to lay down my worry. Can I tell you when you take your hands off of your circumstances, when you take your hands off of the things you cannot control and you lay it down and give it back to God and say, God, I, I can't do this. I can't control this. Do you know what you've just done? You've just laid that concern and that worry on the altar of worship. It is an act of worship for you to lay down your worry. And Christ says you can do it. You can lay down your worries. The Greek also indicates that the command is ongoing action. It's an ongoing action. He doesn't say, hey, just lay this down once. He says, keep laying it down. In fact, he's saying lay it, you can think of it this way, lay it down and leave it there. Lay it down and leave it there. So that's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I'm just going to give you this. Then what do we do? We get done praying, we get up, we pick it back up, put it on our back again and carry it around as a burden. Right? Isn't that what we do? Right? And so we can continuously let go and let God in these circumstances. The question is, will we do that? Well, we all have real needs, but the one thing we need not do is worry. There's a picture of this also that's provided by Jesus where he speaks of what? Abiding in Christ. Abiding in him. Remain in me. Remain in me. You know the picture of the vine? The picture of the vine? He says remain in me. Abide in me. I will abide in you. In other words, let the vine do the providing and you just abide. You just stay. You just remain. You be content. You you trust that the vine is going to deliver to you all that which you need. It's all coming together as He commands us not to worry. So the first thing is, we're commanded not to worry. The second uh, thing is this. We are pointed toward the faith of those who are totally dependent. Totally dependent. We see that in verses 26 through 30. We are pointed toward the faith of those who are totally dependent. And I love what Jesus does here because essentially he takes our culture and turns it on its head because here's the thing none of us like to be dependent not one of us in our culture what do we love most radical independence We even have an independence a declaration of independence i mean it's all about the individual it's all about rugged individualism it's all about my ability to pull myself up by my bootstraps i'm gonna make this work i'm gonna figure this out i can do it i can i can i i i but what does jesus choose to give us as examples of the kind of faith that we should have the kind of abiding we should practice the, 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 the kind of rejection of worry, birds and flowers. Birds and flowers. I want you to think about this. Birds do not plan. And birds do not worry. They wake up and they trust that God has provided the food out there for them to find. They go find it, they eat it, they do bird things, whatever birds do, right? All right? But the one thing they're not doing is worrying. In fact, their brain is so small maybe about the size of pea i don't know if they could actually worry i don't know think about the lilies of the field i mean they're just here one day and then they're gone tomorrow jesus said you know who cares for them god cares for them god clothes them in splendor that even solomon would be jealous of is what he says here in this passage they live that very brief life they can't even think yet God has clothed them and provided for them in that way. I love those two words, yet God. Yet God does that for them, right? Do we remember that there's a God in heaven and that he can do what we can't do and that we can trust him in this way? Jesus then explains why we don't have any need for worry. And he says it this way, we are much more valuable to God than even those wonderful, beautiful creatures like the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. He values me that much? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God values us that much? Well, we know it's true, Romans 5.8. God demonstrated His love toward us in this. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He allowed His Son to go to the cross so that we might know Him and love Him and serve Him and, and have that relationship with Him that we were made for. You are so valuable to God. Let me ask you this question. What God do you worship? Because if you're a Christian then you've responded to the gospel message. And the gospel message is this. We serve a holy God and a just God. And in His holiness and His righteousness, He condemns sin and unrepentant sinners. And in His justice, He has every right to cast us into eternal darkness. Yet God chose to make His Son our sin sacrifice. So if that's true, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is true. We've been saved by what? By God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works. Thank goodness it's not by works. Because if you earn it, then you've got to keep it by working. If you earn it by working, you've got to keep it by working. But no, God wants to give you that gift. He wants to pour out your love. So you know what? We need to remember that not worrying has a lot to do with how we see God. Do we believe that our God is good? really good? Do we believe that our God is really loving? That he sees us and loves us anyway? That he is gracious and merciful and kind and patient and that he won't just throw us away the next time we mess up? You need not worry most of all because of who God has revealed himself to be in the scriptures and in Jesus Christ. So you don't have to worry. Because it's about God. It's not about us. It's not about our circumstances. It's about who He is. You and I can learn from every bird and flower in the field. They do what? They depend on God for their every need. And if that's so, then our, only, that our, then our worries are only good from do, for doing what? Distracting us from trusting God and His goodness. They only serve to distract us from remembering who God has proven himself to be to us. What does he say in verse 31? You of little faith. It's about trusting God, it's about faith in God. God wants you and I to trust him and remember his goodness. And if we do, then we will stay absolutely dependent on God, not our circumstances. Not our troubles, not our worries, not our ability, not our control. We'll be absolutely dependent on God. So we see that we're pointed toward the faith of those who are totally dependent. Third, we are commanded to focus on spiritual things. We see that in verses 31 through 34. We're commanded to focus on spiritual things. Well, the things of God get forgotten during times of trouble especially when our life circumstances change, when we have a problem in our possessions, when we don't have enough money or we lose the ability to make an income. Maybe our relationships are falling apart or maybe our health is abandoning us. In those circumstances, the first thing we tend to do is forget God and the things of God. I remember... uh, when Dr. Mack and I were talking about me coming on board here at the church, okay, uh, we had we met and we had talked, and he said, Darrell, I need to pray about this, and I'm going to get back to you, and you be praying. I said, okay, let's pray. So he prayed, and then he came back and said, let's meet. So we talked, and he said, Darrell, I believe that God is leading me to bring you on board to be the assistant pastor. and Let me tell you what it would be, what this would be like. Well, here's the thing. You're going to focus on discipleship, especially Sunday school. And you're going to focus on missions and helping our church to be more and more involved and focused on missions. Oh, and, and yes, and I don't want you to forget, do not neglect evangelism, right? And I started laughing. You want to know why? Because God in my prayer time had told me, and this actually was before he told me to pray, sometime in the past, during my quiet time, my prayer time, God told me this. He said, Daryl, From now on, your ministry is going to focus on three things, three pillars. Evangelism, discipleship, and missions. And I said, there you go. Got the answer from God. Why did God lay those three things on my heart? Because I have seen over and over in churches, Southern Baptist Church, Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, the first thing a church forgets is to share the gospel. They neglect it. People stop witnessing, and a church that isn't witnessing and winning people to Christ is slowly dying on the vine. Discipleship, remembering the sanctification, must continue for everyone. It doesn't matter what color your hair is or how gray it is. You must continue to grow in Christ, be sanctified. You must be more and more a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, of course, we need to be on mission. We've got the Great Commission. We to be on mission with God as he seeks to redeem a lost and dark and hurting world. God and his promises remain secure in difficult times. Why? Because he's good and he's able. We've talked about that. These verses remind us that worry is absolutely unnecessary in a Christian's life and only serves to keep us from focusing on God and his things. What does he say? Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that mean? His kingdom is the rule of God in the hearts of men. The fact that he rules over me and I need to be sharing his love with others. That's his kingdom. That's his works. That's the outworking of being a Christian, being a kingdom Christian, being about His work, and so forth. And then His righteousness is as His righteousness is bestowed on me, the righteousness of Christ, then He aligns my heart with Himself and He changes my heart and my want-tos from the inside out. That's what it talks about in Philippians chapter 2 where it says, For it is God who works within you, both to will. We skip over that. The will, and to act according to his good pleasure. He's changing you and me from the inside out. He's sanctifying us, us, setting us apart for himself. And he's making us and remaking us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And he begins on the inside in your heart. And he changes your want-tos and your desires so that you don't have to try harder because he's changed your character and your very desires and values and priorities. Do you see how that works? That's his kingdom and his righteousness working its way out in us. God, the things of God, he wants us to focus on those things. Everything we truly need is promised to be provided by our Heavenly Father who we can trust. We can trust him. And because of his promises, we can choose to lay down our worries. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. You're so good to us. And Father, uh, we just thank you for this encouraging and challenging word. Lord, we admit that uh, we are so comforted to know that we can lay down our worries and that you help us to do that. But also, Lord, it challenges us to let go of those things when they tend to grab a hold of us. And we pray that you help us to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: All right, we have just a couple of minutes to go over this uh, listening guide. I want to see what you heard and what you learned from this. What approach does Brother Darrell take in his Bible study? Is it topical or expository? All right, it's mostly topical, but there is some expository because he deals with the passage again. He he likes that hybrid method. He does a topical, but he's going to throw the exposition in there in the midst of it. Can you give an example of exegesis uh, in his study? Something that he pulled out of the passage. One of those things is when he said three times, do not worry. Remember? He also used the Greek tense. Uh, he talked about the ongoing action. That's an exegetical study. He also used Ephesians and other passages. Philippians, he just used Philippians. He used a number of other passages. Remember we talked about, that the best commentary on the Bible is the, is the Bible. So he did that. When it comes to uh, what uh, Brother Darrell identified the meaning of key words, uh, he identified the, the word worry. Remember that? He talked about the worry that you get preoccupied in something that distracts you from other things. So he uses that. Any others that you picked out? All right. What, about, what does Brother Darrell give in a historical context to the passage? What do he tell us about the passage that set it in context? Prior to this passage, is what? Yeah, the disciples were challenged about living a life that they worried could have worried whether or not they're able to do that. The Sermon on the Mount brings about all these issues that you have to do, you're supposed to do, and that could cause them to worry. And then he comes over and says, you don't have to worry. You don't need to worry. Right? All right, what about the, can you identify his method of organization? Psychological? psychological? Okay, I think psychological. You could almost uh, you could almost uh, make an alliteration of it. In the fact that every one of his points was started with we. Every one of them is we. It's not a different word, but every time we are to do this, or we are not to do this, or we. So a key word for him is we. He knows it's going to start uh, with the word we. Does Brother Darrell identify what the passage says to the people of that day? Yes, he does, to the disciples. What about people of any day? Anybody who worries, any, any people who worry. And what about to him or to us? To apply to us? It certainly does. If you've ever worried about anything, it applies to you then on the back, what are Brother Darrell's key points? He had three points in this message. Remember those three points? What? Say them out loud. Commanded not to worry was number one. Number two? What was that? Do what? All right, for those that yeah, exactly right, it says we are to... Follow uh, those who, are to, who have a practice of faith, who practice faith and are totally dependent on God. What was the third one? We are commanded to what? To focus on the kingdom. To focus on spiritual things of the kingdom. That's right. Those are the three points. What does Brother Darrell think is the primary focus of this passage? What would you say? Out to be man's salvation. It wasn't about salvation. It wasn't really about the Christian life, even though you could say that It was more about man and our tendency to worry or to be in control or to handle things and don't want to be out of control. But then he also spent a great deal of time of talking about God and who God is and that God doesn't have to worry and that God is a reason why we shouldn't have to worry. So both God and man would be in that. What type of presentation does Brother Darrell use? You've heard him twice now. Do you think he uses a manuscript, an extensive outline, or extemporaneous, or impromptu? What do you think he uses his style? Outline, outline, not manuscript. What would you think? I would say extemporaneous. He has, he has key points, and he goes from there. In other words, he's not, he's not, a manuscript is where he's going to say every word is measured Every word is chosen, and he sticks right with the script. Extensive outline was instead of him giving you a point, he would have given you a point and five subpoints, and maybe uh, three more sub-subpoints under that. That would be extensive outline. Extemporaneous is that he takes a theme, the thing that we are not—we are commanded not to worry—and he goes off with that theme, and he preaches that passage around that, and then he goes to the next point in regard to it. So. I would say extemporaneous in regard to it. All right? Thank you, Brother Darrell. Appreciate it. Next week, we're going to go back. We'll be back talking about some other things about how we study and how we're able to study and present our material in the best way. All right? God bless you. Have a good rest of the week. Look forward to seeing you Sunday.